To have a good harvest, one must plant good seeds and must also use the right kind of fertilizer. The carrots have grown large and firm. How good they will taste. Well, good morning, gardeners. Welcome to the Backyard Gardens podcast, where we now sound like radio DJs early in the morning. I'm joking, everybody. Hope everybody's having a fantastic day. We are going to do something a little bit different, but not unfamiliar. Not unfamiliar. We are going to be talking about the documentary Poisoned. Poison. Poison. Um, That was on Netflix. So, strap in should be a good one. I found it very interesting. What did you think? Um, I thought it was super interesting. I'm I'm into this kind of you know kind of uh, the way the style they film this documentary. Um, you know, as my disclaimer, there's always a bit of like one sidedness. I feel like in these documentaries, you know. Um, yeah. And it's it's all like how can you be completely neutral? You know, I don't know if I've seen a documentary on any subject where I felt like, you know, uh, the filmmaker was completely neutral. Um, but it is what it is. It's kind of like reality TV. Like they're they're not necessarily making you out to be the bad character. You're probably the bad character. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, this isn't editing, you know. Well, and if you haven't seen the movie Poisoned on Netflix, then either you're going to get a spoiler or you need to go watch it and come back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So take that or leave it the way you want. And also, before we get started, if you want to support the show, come be an Apple subscriber or Spotify, not Spotify, my bad, Patreon, and help support the show. Amazon store is below with a link that has products that Batavia and I have used in our garden, not stuff people try to sell us to advertise to you. These are all things that we use in our garden. So check that out. Small portion goes us, nothing extra to you. And when I say small portion, I mean small, but that's neither here nor there. It helps us though. (laughs) (laughs) I just really wish I could talk to Jeff Bezos about his stuff, but that's for a different episode, right? Mm -hmm. On our other podcast that we have yet to start. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so I'm going to start off with acknowledging what you said about the filmmaker having an angle. So I've shot a couple um, short documentaries, working on another one. And it's interesting that you say that because you are exactly right. When a filmmaker goes into a film, they've they've got an agenda Mm -hmm. to an extent. And as a viewer... I feel like it's our duty to ourself to acknowledge the fact that there is that and then also try and piece and part, you know, pull apart the threads a little bit and try and get through and see what's what's for real and what's not, because some things are going to be embellished. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And I want to also say there's going to be things that I talk about in this episode in which I was at one point a government employee for the U.S. government, so I do have some inside knowledge, not about this, but just how that structure works. And it's very interesting when you watch this movie, how that kind of unfolded and how typical it is of that, which is a very condescending way to use that word. I know that, but I don't apologize for it because it was very typical. Um, but no, it was. I thought it was very interesting because... I thought it was going to be about me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Didn't you? Um, uh, I think probably the first 20 some minutes of it did focus more so on meat. So I didn't go. I went in. You gave me one hint of it. So I actually thought it was going to be more about lettuce. Then when <clears> I went in and watched the first you know, 10 or 15 minutes of it, I thought it was going to be another documentary around, you know, the evils mm-hmm. of meat um, or more specifically what we the evil things we do uh with meat harvesting meat and so on um so i think it was a combination of all of those things yeah it was but the the main focus of it was definitely on the produce side of it and that's why we're talking about it here because if it was just talking about meat mm-hmm, i mean mm-hmm. that's not really what backyard gardens <laughs> is about we're not you know um but it definitely does have something to say because they talked about certain cases in the movie in which I remember clearly happening Mm -hmm. and the fear behind it. What I did not know and didn't realize is how terrible 
these foodborne illnesses can be on somebody. I did not realize that. I knew it could be bad. Uh, I did not know that it was just going to be absolutely horrendous and could kill you. How easily it is for you to die from something like that. Yeah, I think it's, um, and I was in the middle of it, so I don't know that I knew, you know. I think when we hear about it, oftentimes it is like some death associated with it. It's not often Mm -hmm. we hear it, but when there's some like, you know, food album, break and i'm not talking about the e coli you know bit um when you think about again kind of like the mad cow stuff again folks were on meat um i didn't realize like the long lasting effects that some of these people go through when it comes to the illnesses um so again they highlighted a couple of stories a couple um but that was kind of surprising. It was like, you know, you have a bout with food poisoning is my assumption. Either basically either you have a bout with food poisoning and then you survive in your normal or it kills you. I kind of in my mind it was like one extreme or the other, you know. Yeah. Now you want to hear an interesting fact about your boy What's Ben. That? Since you brought up mad cow disease. Mm-hmm. I lived in Scotland in the early eighties when all that was going around. So I cannot give blood ever. Neither can my son or his kids oh, wow. forever. We cannot give blood because it can be passed through that. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Wow. So I've never given blood. Well, yeah. I don't have mad cow disease that I know of, but it's apparently pretty bad. Wow. <clears throat> but we were watching, you know, my wife, she works at a hospital on the infection side of everything. And when... We were watching it. She was actually filling me in on the side, too, about these different diseases and sicknesses that you can get. And it was listeria, mm-hmm. E. coli. Mm-hmm. I can't remember off the top of my head the other ones. I sounded like I came out hot, like I had a whole list, yeah, yeah. but that's all I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> but she was saying that, you know, usually they do get people in the hospital that die from it. Mm-hmm. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm not worried about dying from it. I'm more worried about like getting like long lasting effects, mm-hmm. which this one young lady did have mm-hmm. from it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause if I'm dead, whatever I'm dead, it's just, it's over. But you know, as far as the meat side of it goes, it was interesting, but then it got into the vegetable side of it, mm-hmm. which was interesting to me, which pertains to the show. Now I remember in the eighties, we have a grocery store chain and you may be familiar with it called Food Lion. Mm-hmm. And in that time period, I remember there was a uh, undercover operation on the news where they were taking meat and soaking it in Clorox that was rotten and reselling it. Oh, my goodness. And there were rats eating the bread and they'd cut the bread and stuff like that. It was really terrible. But that was like kind of so it kind of fed into that stuff because, you know, people didn't know a lot about meat practices mm-hmm, and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we didn't have anything vegetable related back then. Nothing whatsoever. I don't ever remember until, I mean, when was the, you know, that big cantaloupe one they referred to was not that long, you know, long ago, probably what, five, ten years ago, maybe? Yeah, I'm not, I don't even remember like anything regarding cantaloupe. I remember there being a listeria outbreak and I remember thinking to myself, and I probably thought it out loud. That's stupid. You can't get sick from vegetables and fruits. <laughs> and boy, was I wrong. Yeah. I think when it, you transition over to vegetables, which is where we're going to spend the most of our time, I think it's just it's it bothers me about myself, you know, how you it's just like you can get complacent about it. So, you know, I remember I can't place like the year, but I can remember the early reports of, oh, there's an E. coli break, like a recall on spinach or a recall on lettuce, you know, and it's like, you know, a, a little bit of a panic, like, oh, my gosh, you know, thank goodness I don't have either of these in my, you know, in my kitchen, in my refrigerator. And but now it seems like it's so common. Yeah. Right. You know, and I think it takes some of the. um the rub off, if you will, where maybe I don't think it's that big of a deal, right? I don't, I, I rarely buy spinach, but I do buy a lot of lettuce, you know, during the off seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just, it, it's, um, it's hard to, <sighs> the biggest piece for me wasn't it happens. It's how accepted it is. Yes. And, 
the lack of oversight mm-hmm. over it mm-hmm. as well. That was the big thing. And so the government part that comes in is, you know, they actually had people from, what was it? The FDA and the USDA a sister agent, the USDA mm-hmm. sit in on this documentary and speak, which I mean, how many documentaries have you seen where they're like, we have re- we requested mm-hmm. for an interview and got declined. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then this one, in fact, you did not have that. And their responses. I mean, the one lady, I don't know which agency she worked for off the top of my head, but her responses were so robotic and terrible that you're like, lady, you're lying. <laughs> like, there's no way, like, there's no way that you're a spokesperson for this agency and this is the way you speak. And we expect to be safe because, I mean, in America, if you're not from this country, you know, you expect that our food is inspected Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's safe to consume. And they did stuff with chicken and all that other things, too. But when it came to the vegetables, that was really shocking to me. And I can remember last year um, I was driving through the country and I saw Mm -hmm. a farm spraying pig crap on the vegetables to water it like fresh crap the water that was coming out was just brown and smelled you can't tell me it wasn't doo-doo <laughs> you know what i mean it you could just tell that it was in the air and this is how these things get perpetuated and you start growing e coli and listeria and all this other stuff on your vegetables and then you're feeding them to people but you can't test them. And then they went to, so far, which they have a lettuce coalition that I didn't even know existed. Yeah, that's... That was for the safety of lettuce. And he was just as damn bad as the other people. Well, yeah. And we talked about... You and I talked about this a little bit offline, you know, kind of the the organizations that evolve out of a systemic problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the question becomes, are they helping the problem or is it just again another organization that you can pity pat responsibility back and forth with uh, the lady was from the USDA and I went back as we were preparing for this episode and I, I missed this the first time they agreed to speak with the filmmakers for 30 minutes so they put a cap on it Yeah, uh, which you know I think goes back to the idea of the we want to be represented but we're not going to be here all day letting you dig as deep as you want Right. Uh, and we obviously didn't see the full 30 minutes of it again. There, there was some editing going on. Um, I, I just, you know, when it comes to it really called into question for me, you know, the idea of conventionally grown versus organically grown. We talk so much around, you know, pesticides and things of that nature. But that's just a part of a problem. Right. You know, um, yeah. you know when we talk about growing organically. I mean, I think that farm. I mean, I, I don't know if they document those practices and if they do, then maybe they don't get their certification. But uh, how does that impact what they were doing with the spraying of water? How does that impact their, you know, them being organically grown or not? You know, so am right. I getting, you know, organic shit lettuce? You know, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely been poo poo sprayed mm-hmm. on it. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it it, it was shocking to me. And what would and when, staying on the subject of lettuce what was shocking to me is they were saying like, you're much safer buying a head of mm-hmm. lettuce than a bag mm-hmm. of lettuce because the lettuce in the bags can come from multiple farms, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I want to take a second and talk about that. How long does their lettuce keep? Like what is going on here? Because my lettuce doesn't keep that long. Say, like if I took my lettuce, did they say multiple farms, sh- or did they say multiple? Like so, it's basically the combination of so many heads of lettuce, or you know, l- I, leaves of lettuce. No, it was multiple mm-hmm. farms because he said if you bought a head of lettuce, and there was an issue from the recall, then you could narrow it down to what region it was grown mm-hmm. in. But if you bought a bag of lettuce, then it could come from multiple places. Mm-hmm. And then you can't really narrow it down, which is why a lot of times you see that the bag lettuce has been recalled. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was, I guess it was probably three years ago when we had that first, as far as I know, the first big lettuce recall. And it was Thanksgiving and there was no lettuce anywhere. And I had lettuce in my garden. So we were eating salads and everybody was like, oh, I can't believe it. We haven't had lettuce in like a month. This is so great. This, that, and the other. And it was just kind of rang true in my mind. And now this, it seems to be about a yearly process now 
that we're seeing it more and more often. Now, is that the Lettuce Coalition doing its job? I don't know. And I also think that, you know, some of the stuff is regional. So I, if I had to guess, there are probably a lot more recalls than you or I are aware of. Oh, I'm sure, because I don't watch the news. <laughs> <laughs> so I guarantee you, I mean, I don't, I mean, how many people have local TV readily available to them? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot less than it used mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, but, uh, so I, it's, it's like who's, uh, who's watching the watchers. Yeah, that's what that other organization kind of reminds me of. Um, the leafy green. I wrote it down here. Marketing agreement. Leafy green. LGMA, I think it is. Yeah. I just, I, you know, and I know that you, what you're thinking is the answer is, well, just grow it all your own. Grow all of it yourself. And yeah, I mean, that, that could be a solution for some of us, but there's so many things, you know, produce wise that I'm still going to buy from the store, you know, and yeah. when I think about, you know, some of the comments they make, you know, towards the end, which I won't jump ahead and I won't steal the thunder. They basically ask, you know, some of the experts on the other side of this, you know, what is it that you don't buy from the grocery store? What is it that you don't trust? You know? And so I, I was like taken aback by their responses you know, it's like the people yeah. that know are basically saying no, thank you. Um, and it's been it's I don't know, it's been like six weeks since we watched it a, a month or something. And it's hard for me to walk into the grocery store and not think about this documentary. Yeah. When I walk past some of the things in the produce section. Well, and it's tough, too, because the morality of the situation comes into mind for me when it's like, you know, you're talking to the guy and he's. Hey, would you eat a head of lettuce from the store? And well, no, I wouldn't. Well, then why are you doing your job? Because your answer should be yes, mm-hmm. I will. Mm-hmm. Not no, I wouldn't, because clearly you're overpaid and underqualified and ill-equipped to do the job that you're doing right now. And you, it's time for you to move on and get somebody else in place. Unless these standards are across the board, which for this conversation around this movie from the perception of what I saw, if I didn't know any better, I would say that, yes, these are the standards that are set forward, that it's basically a free for all. And these people are just figureheads that are there in order to, you know, make the public feel better about what they're doing and purchasing and consuming, which is unacceptable in my mind. It's is it eliminate or is it minimize? You know, so everything that I kind of got from this is it's not they're not eradicating these issues. It's minimizing it. It's identifying it once it's gotten out, you know, hence the recalls, you know. So that I think that's the part that is scary. There's one scene where the guy's like, you know, probably everything at the grocery store, all of this is probably contaminated. You know, I'm just yeah. like, wait, what? All of it? You know, you're just at a random grocery store. There's nothing specific about that grocery store where, again, a lot of what we're talking about, it's already in whatever the, the produce is once it gets to your store. You know, we're not talking about kind of practices behind the, you know, in the bakery or the deli and what they may be doing cross contamination there. This documentary documentary focused on when it's coming out of these farms and these, you know, packing and distribution centers, you know. So it's already within the the shoebox, as my great aunt likes to call it, of lettuce before it gets to your store. You know, that's the part that's that's scary. Well, and I mean, to be clear, you know, like E. coli, for example, it exists on almost every living surface. So anything you touch will have a level of E. coli in it, but not to the extent that it can make you sick. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we have a natural immunity to it to an extent, which puts into light that when you get these products that have this on there, it's an exaggerated amount that your Mm -hmm. body cannot handle, Mm -hmm. which is the scary part. Um, I know ever since, and I don't know when the LGMA came in to play for the lettuce, but I do know that almost yearly we have lettuce recalls. Now that being said, maybe they're doing their job about identifying where the problem is and when there is a problem, but the question that comes to my mind is how do we eliminate that problem? 
what practices are being done that are exaggerating this contamination and making it worse so that we have to have it. Because I feel like between the FDA, the USDA, and the LGMA, and any other alphabet agency out there, there needs to be some kind of process that figures out like, hey, we've got an issue. What caused it? How do we avoid it? Mm-hmm. And let's move on from it. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's a functioning... I don't want to say government because the LGMA is not government. It's a... I don't know the term I'm looking for. Agency. It's a, a functioning agency to do that. That's like your goal, right? Mm-hmm. That should be your goal. And if you're not doing that and we're consistently getting it, then you're failing at your job, which is scary because the American people don't understand as a whole where food comes from, how it's produced, what it takes to produce it. Our listeners do because they grow it. But I know people that have no idea, no idea about food, you know, and how it's grown and stuff like that. They just think it's like, boom, it's there. Yeah, there's and, and that's um, not how it works. Going back to the bit about, you know, um, uh, you know, what things have been sprayed with what, right? Um, there is like a product that isn't healthy for you, right? You know, so we, I think a lot of folks generally understand, like, let's say a hot dog isn't the healthiest of meat choices, right? Um, I think that safe is very different. This documentary is around food safety, right? Yeah. You know, so a yeah, whether it's lettuce, whether it's some melon, whether it's avocado, is that thing safe? That's like, I mean, I don't understand why people aren't, you know, running in the street, pulling their hair hair out. Like a lot of what was said in this um, documentary is a lot of what the products that they cover, the produce isn't safe or it should be a big question mark around whether it is you know then you go into how often these shelves are being restocked with these things you know these bins in grocery stores and every time you have this new shipment in it's another opportunity for something to be you know safe or not um so yeah and i don't want it this isn't you know we always have a, a moment of pause when we do these episodes this is not about fear mongering we talk about growing food and i think this is an interesting installment in the discussion around growing food necessary one i mean if if there was ever a reason to grow food this would be it and i'm not suggesting that you're like hey i'm gonna grow all the lettuce that i could ever consume but if and this is the way i think about things is every head of lettuce that I grow and consume is less exposure to something that I may not want to have inside of my body. Mm-hmm. Albeit, you know, food safety, pesticides, ill practices, you know, worker mistreatment, and you name it, whatever. You're taking less of a part in that system. Mm-hmm. Because from what I understand, there's not an outbreak of listeria coming out of people's gardens. I've not heard anything about that. Here, here. You know, there's not like there's been a contaminated seed. All gardeners, watch out. There's a contaminated seed that's getting people sick. I've not heard of this. It could possibly have happened. I don't know. But as of right now, it hasn't happened that I know of. And it's just one of those things that like it, it further like this show reinforced why I do what I do for my family and myself and also this platform that we have built here, you know, it kind of, it's kind of, cause they showed at some point it was, it was cool. It was just a quick clip, but it was the lettuce starts mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they were using foam blocks. And I mean, they had carts of them pushing them out getting, you know, getting them going with little lead, lettuce seedlings. And what I felt like they definitely missed upon. And this is just, you know, I'm definitely biased, but, when you're talking about lettuce, which is a relatively easy plant to grow, wouldn't you yeah, say, it's, for, as far as crops mm-hmm. go, it's relatively easy, albeit the temperatures need to be in the correct mm-hmm. range. They never once mentioned that, that like, you know, because usually they'll say these people will say something in these movies of like how to kind of navigate these treacherous waters mm-hmm. of, you know, food safety or something like that. And they definitely came back to the hamburger and the guy's like, I want my hamburger cooked to 150 degrees, <laughs> no more and no less. And it's like, dude, please, you know, they ain't going to bust out the <laughs> thermometer. 
I uh I I was looking up um the Dirty Dozen and I could have swore tomatoes were on this list and some of the sites I'm pulling up no longer has tomatoes on it, which is pretty interesting. Um it's changed. Yeah, yeah. Strawberries seem to be consistently number one as the dirtiest. Um but I was gonna ask you if you felt like like how do you feel like this kind of information impacts using store-bought things as kind of your seed you know store-bought potatoes store-bought garlic um you know i hadn't thought about it while i was watching this um you're trying to set me up yeah it's you know but i I, you're trying to set me up that's rude that's rude i thought we was better than that i've used store-bought potatoes and i've used store-bought garlic um, to grow both of those things before. So you're not alone in it. Now, I've not sworn that this is the only way I'm going to go. Um, but um, like, that's a real thing. Now, so on one hand, it's the, if you're going to eat it, you know, what's the harm in using it to grow more of it? You know, um, so there is that bit. But I don't know. What do you think? Well, why would I not use the seed? Let's let's ask that question. What would be the purpose of not using the seed? Well, so if we're saying that... Um, there is potentially problems with vegetables produce in the grocery store and we're not saying all but for this bit of the conversation i'm saying if there's you know some eyebrows being raised about the safety of things in the grocery store is it wise then to use some of those things to bring it to your garden and grow Right. Are you talking about like E. coli or something like that? I, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying, generally speaking, we're saying a way to help this matter is grow more of what you eat than buy. But is that whatever right. that safety issue is, is it going to follow you home with the thing that you're using to plant? So this is interesting, turmeric. everybody. You're getting an insight. I was reading about that yesterday, using store-bought turmeric. Not only... Not only are my sweet co-host, Miss Batavia, and I different in the zones that we garden, but we also think differently, believe it or not. Why is that a surprise? Of course we do. Everybody knows that. No, like totally differently, though. When you asked me that question, my first thought is, okay, what's the problem? What, What are we looking at here? And Because that will dictate what I do. You know, are we talking... You know, potential sicknesses, pesticides, you know, you go down all these different lines. And the the short answer is, I don't care. If I'm going to use the seed from something from the store, I don't care. Because I don't think that the any kind of bacteria or anything like that will be transferred into the seed and perpetuate the next year when you grow it. I don't believe that is science see now i gotta look it up and i'm probably gonna freak myself out (laughs) but as far as my knowledge goes i don't think that's an issue now as far as like pesticides and herbicides being used as long as i'm not eating the regular produce then i'm fine with it and i i want to be very clear i don't rinse my pro my strawberries for instance i don't rinse them with vinegar and do everything else that some people do in order to clean them there's enough stuff out in the world that's going to kill me. It's just, it is what it is. I'll rinse them. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not doing anything super crazy. Yeah. I generally don't. I mean, I used to, and it was just, it was exhausting to prepare a meal to to create the veggie wash and all this stuff. It just, it was too much. That being said, I would still use that too, because that pesticide is not going to transfer directly into that seed and go and I know it was like, what about GMO? Well, GMO seed will not grow. It's sterile. Therefore, I don't have to worry about that because that has the pesticide infused inside of the I don't know, the cells of the seed. And so it grows with a portion of this pesticide in it, but you can't grow it because it's sterile. So th- there's your answer there. How's that? Yeah, I mean, I think a part of, you know, at the onset of the show, you talked about you know, in response to sometimes these things are one-sided. Like, what do you as an individual take from it and how does it change or not your experience, right? You know, so I can look at this and say, I'll never again buy bagged lettuce. I'll never again buy boxed lettuce. I'll never again buy romaine. I'll never again buy some veg, uh, some fruits, some melons. I could say that or I could say, you know, 
well, I'm really not comfortable. Like there's no way to get a cantaloupe clean once you cut into it, you know? Yeah. Uh, which is the thing that I just, I've n- had never considered. And I feel like I'm generally a smart gal, uh, but it had never occurred to me, like everything that you have from these melons, you know, is going to cut into it. Generally it did because I wash my watermelons when I purchase them. I'll wash those off like this, the actual skin of them. Cause I know that I'm putting right. a knife into it. When you think about the crevices of something like a cantaloupe, I'm like, yowzer. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing is, I mean, you can do something like they do this at the hospital a lot. Just take some kind of like blue ink and wipe the side of the cantaloupe and then cut it. And you'll see how that spreads throughout mm-hmm. when you cut it, which is where your, you know, your contaminants will come into contact with the flesh that you eat. Of yeah, it. Another way is you could basically peel it like you'd peel, you know, an orange, but instead use a knife, you know, so that would be so weird to eat a cantaloupe mm-hmm. that way, though. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. Yeah, I, I want to do it now. Do that when I after I've cut it. Though. No, don't don't tell me that. I don't. I want to. I want to like you. Well, no, I. <laughs> so I normally cut it in half, and then I cut it in force, and then I cut the skin off. But again, I've already done the potential damage there by cutting. You've already done the yeah. damage. So if we, so this is it, everybody. Backyard Gardens podcast method. Now everybody starts peeling their cantaloupe from a whole cantaloupe. Just peel it and then eat it. See how you like it. That'd be interesting. I'm gonna. I gotta try it. Yeah, for your really small miniature ones, I think that's very possible. But when you get those larger, ones, yeah, you know, get you a 50 pound watermelon, just cut <laughs> the rind off of it. <laughs> oh, that would be delicious, actually. Yeah, that's that'd be the messiness that that would bring. Now, what about you? As far as like saving seed from the grocery store, I know you've done it in the past, but now with your newfound knowledge of things, and would you do something like that or? I don't think that it stops me. I think it's the same thing. Like, I don't think well, these, you know, uh, the issues that we're identifying, I don't know that they would survive to get passed down to whatever I'm using as seed. So if I have a, right. you know, talk about my Aldi pepper plant, right? These are seeds that I've grown um, that I saved like probably three years ago, four years ago or something. And... um now you think about like how many generations we are beyond when they were originally grown. Whatever was in that Aldi pepper originally, my hope and my guess is that it's no longer in the seed that I'm using. Like it's not survived. So I don't see an issue with stuff like right. that. Um, even if I had cantaloupe and I said I want to save a cantaloupe seed, you know, as an example, I, I wouldn't see an issue with planting the seed that I save from that particular melon. It's, it's very similar to when we, you and I were talking offline around, um, you know, the transplants, like when I still buy brassica transplants and how beautiful they look. And it's yeah. like, you know, coming out of wherever those grow areas were before they got to your Lowe's and your Home Depot's, they absolutely did some type of spraying to um, to keep those plants as healthy as they are. Um, and so right. I kind of look at it like I'm adopting whatever these transplants are. It's all about how I, I care for them when I get them in my home, in my garden. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, when you're growing something on a mass scale, there's really no way around it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you, you can't let your livelihood get taken from you by a pest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um there's all kinds of organic treatments you can use that are very, very effective, but they still come out of a sprayer and they're still considered a pesticide, albeit organic. And I mean, that's a fact of the matter. Now, I, I do know, and I'm going to talk about this for a second, the organic labeling is a sham in itself because you have to pay so much for that label to be able to put that label on your farm, you have to pay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for it. You have to pay to be inspected and certified. I mean, ask me if I'm an organic farm. Are you an organic farm? No. Ask me if I use conventional non-organic um, fertilizers. Do you do that? No. Do I do it for pesticides? No. Everything I use is organic, but technically... I'm not organic. So I could not sell you organic vegetables, right? 
but I don't use anything conventional. I have not used anything conventional, at least this year and for many years. Um, but the thing is, is this is like a, it's, it's like a way to keep, you just threw me off with that. You're weird. <laughs> but Tavia is super into watching a squirrel climb sunflowers right now. Well, more specifically, it it's climbing a sunflower that doesn't have the seeds formed yet. So basically, it's just ruining a good sunflower because, you know, the weight yeah. of the squirrel is basically breaking branches. And I just don't know if it's not smart enough to realize or I don't know if they're really like maybe there's some nutrition that they're enjoying in the, the leaves or what. Um, but it's desperate. I'm so glad that I'm over. I used to like, I'd be throwing pans in and, and pencils and stuff from my window down to it. I've basically like, I've given them the run of it. Have at it. Yeah. Might as well. But what I was saying is, I mean, you, you kind of need to use some kind of form of treatment to an extent. Mm-hmm. If you have a big field, you can't cover the field. Batavia would probably try yeah. everybody. <laughs> She'd figure it out. But generally speaking, you can't do that. And I mean, this this show, as far as I know, they were not talking about herbicides and pesticides at no. all Mm-mm. in this show. And I would be very leery about watching something about that because you get a lot of um, bro science coming in sometimes where you got this level of this in the soil. And a lot of these elements naturally occur in soils. Just like the E. coli, it's naturally occurring on surfaces. We're in contact with it all the time. Within, a, but if within you our bodies as well. And it lives in your body. And if you and I were talking and you didn't know any better, and I was like, you got a coli on that microphone, you'd be like, I got to get rid of this mic. Oh, my God. You know, but we know that that's not an issue. So when we watch these things, we need to understand that, one, the person who's making it may not know enough about the subject in order to portray, you know, convey their message appropriately. And two, the people that are on the other end of it that are being interviewed or whatever, they may not be selling the theories that, you know, appropriately because there's going to be people out there that are in the lettuce coalition Mm -hmm. And their job is to keep it safe. So they're going to sit there and tell you until they're blue in the face that such and such is bad because they want funding for their coalition to be able to take on studies for something else. And I've, I mean, I've seen this happen before. That's why I said that. Like I've seen people boldface lie so that they can get fundings to come in to fund their studies and keep their jobs going mm-hmm. longer. When in reality, especially in a governmental agency, when your job's no longer you like your whatever you're studying is not being used generally speaking they transfer you to somewhere else where your skills will be used on something else but these people grow such passions that they will continue to do so and that's where your knowledge of what you're doing listening to this show reading books all these other things and having your own knowledge will help you weed through this stuff because these people do have agendas sometimes and we have to be careful about that just like the FDA and the USDA people had when they came on the show they had agendas and they had a certain thing to say and one lady was very clear she was reading off a script <laughs> you know it's um uh, speaking of specifically the documentary i did feel like was when you talked about which one that you mentioned you mentioned another um if they had mentioned this i would have had some pause there's something it, it felt a little bit choppy i'm trying to spit this out where, you know, we start with beef and we talk about a lot of produce and then we get back to chicken then we circle back around to produce. Um, and it made me think about how to do justice to these subjects, you really kind of need to hone in on kind of, you know, and be more laser focused, you know. So if yeah. we get to the point of like a critique of it, um, I really felt like they told a little bit of a few different stories, not actual people stories, but a little bit of a few different food safety concerns. Um, I, I forgot about it until I um, scanned through it again. Like, remember the whole peanut thing? You know? Yeah. Uh, so it's like scratching the surface on a few different things. And there is that balance of enough to make you concerned, but do you have enough information from this to be informed? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and there's. So, I felt that. So there's I felt a couple that there. Yeah, 
there's a couple things going on there. One, that's the business. And what that is, is when you make a, a movie or a limited series, we'll call it a limited series because it would be a one and done situation. Mm-hmm. The filmmaker and the company that's financing it have to decide, should this be a movie or should this be a limited series? Mm-hmm. And whatever they decide is what you get. Clearly, they said, we need to make this, a, a you know, a feature length documentary and cram it all in. I agree with you where there was enough stuff there and enough data that they, they could have broken it apart. But then the other part of it too, is because of the way it was made, those are basically called subplots mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where you have multiple story arcs going on at one time. And I felt like, um, I felt like if you, if you looked at it from a history perspective, and kind of followed the timeline, it made sense. But if you weren't following like a timeline, because, you know, the beef was back in the day mm-hmm. and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. And then the chicken and everything like that. And they had this whole, it was hilarious, chicken study that they did and they referred to, which we won't really go into. But um, if you have not seen it, even though you know basically a lot of the movie now, it is definitely worth it to watch them make this guy look like an ass on TV. <laughs> I mean, it was just plain and simple. And, you know, when because people, they call your mm-hmm. bluff and they're like, oh, no, they'll never do something like that. And then when, in fact, they're like, no, hold my beer. We're going to do this. And then you're like, what, what are you talking about, dog? Like, you were the worst of everybody. And it, so there's multiple things going on there. But I get what you're talking about. But from a historical perspective, it definitely made sense to me because I could follow what was going on throughout time. And for me, because I'm so old, I said it out loud, um, I could follow back into the 80s, which I can barely remember, but into the 80s, the things that had happened and kind of recall some of these things that have occurred throughout time. Because I don't know, like, do they have this, you know, recalls and stuff like that in like the 60s and 50s and stuff? I don't know. I mean, I think that when you think about... They didn't say anything about yeah, that. Yeah, they didn't say anything about that. And then when you think about how often, um, like just the communication methods, how difficult it would be yeah. to get that kind of messaging out. So the first major food recall in the U.S. was in 1973, and it was from canned mushrooms. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not going to read about it, but, you know, so I guess in 1973, it did happen, which means that somebody caught it. But did they catch it beforehand or did somebody get sick? You got to know someone got sick because, I mean, even going into of the course. 80s, I'm going to say for sure through the 80s was. I, I'm sorry, I had a dead air on a podcast. I was just thinking about it like, <laughs> is it, isn't that still true today, though? So I'm going to go ahead and make an educated guess and say in the 70s with the mushrooms, a number of people were sick, and that's how they, they found out and recalled those cans. But then I'm fast-forwarding and saying, like, what's the, what's the jumping-off point now for things being recalled? Right. I mean, these things are already shipped in the stores. Sometimes they're giving you dates where things have been in the stores for weeks, you know. So is it based on a number of people being sick? And then we track back to where those people, you know, how they do the whole um, survey. Where did those people buy the thing? And now they can track back to the factory that was made and all of the expiration dates and all of that. But this is still all after the fact, after the fact, specifically of people being ill. I don't know that for a fact. We have. No, I, I would assume you're correct based on the you know the timeline that you say because it generally is like hey if you've bought this and it's been available th- for three weeks throw it in the trash. <laughs> um, which first of all I don't want to throw it in the trash. I want you to pay me mm-hmm. back. You're the one that gave me some badass mm-hmm. food. Why well, I gotta waste my money for? But then the other thing too is that um, it becomes apparent that what we have is we have reactive agencies and we need to have proactive agencies, which is you know it's it's a key part of it. And I don't know how, I mean, I'm not even one to start and how you would do it, but it would need to be mass testing. And they even talked about in the movie how they cover up testing and avoid it and, you know, stuff like that. Because, I mean, basically the way it is, is once that that food leaves the farm, it seems to me, and I could be totally wrong, but the farmer has now wiped his hands clean, transaction's done. (laughs) And then it goes to the plant. And once it makes it out of the plant, it's done. 
And then it goes to the store. And once it leaves the store, they're done. And it's now your problem. Yeah, I think it depends on that's what just they not catch, right. whether it tracks back to uh, the packing warehouse or the actual farm or both. Um, you know, I, I don't have the figures in front of me. And it hadn't come to mind until now. Um, but you think about the amount of produce that we're producing today compared to, let's say, 20 years ago. We know that it's more. Right. You know, yeah. and so like, are we as not we I don't work for the government, but is the government able to have been have they been able to scale up when it comes to this monitoring, you know, even beyond the whole LGMA right? Um, like and that kind of goes back to how much consumers uh, are buying and, and how much we need to be made available to us to buy. Right. That's it's a, a bit right. of a tangent. I don't want to dig into that. Um, but how are you going to open that door and then yeah, shut it yeah. right away? That's not cool, man. I'll oblige you. I'll <laughs> oblige you though. We're going to leave that one for everybody to think about what I want. You know, when I watch this thing and I see, the agencies talk and I still, I can't believe they came on there and spoke. They would have been better off not speaking in my opinion. Um, I just imagine a closed door, a glass of whiskey <laughs> and a bunch of guys with cigars sitting around just like, Oh yeah, bastard got sick, whatever. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I just, I, I, I don't see it. And I know that there's people that work for these agencies that generally genuinely care about their jobs and the safety for people. And it comes down to the head of the agencies and, you know, the upper management of them. And I mean, you you see these things and you see the statements that they prepared and how they reacted and what they said. And you're just like, no, they're not even talking. You're reading. You're not even helping the situation at all. You're definitely not helping your situation. And it's very sad to see because it's hard to think about it when you're sitting in an office and you're crunching data, but when it comes down to it, there's lives at stake. And in this case, it's every single life in America is at stake. I mean, it doesn't matter if you have your own farm and you produce a hundred percent of your food. If you go out to dinner mm-hmm. one time, get, you know, there's you're, some you're, level you of have risk. a chance. Yeah. There's some level mm-hmm. of risk. And I'm not trying to sit here and say like, you need to be scared and you know, blah, blah. Yeah, I'm not trying to say that. That's not what I'm trying to say. Um, if I was trying to say anything, I would say, if you were going to plan your garden for next year, look at these dangerous lists and maybe if you enjoy eating them, try and grow one mm-hmm, of them mm-hmm. and try and get your fill that way. That's If I was going to say anything to anybody listening to this show, I guess that would be the message that I would put forward because it would be interesting. It, it could be interesting on multiple levels and rewarding at the same time while minimizing risk and stuff like that, which I feel like people already grow what they want to eat anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was watching a video and it, uh, um, the gentleman talked about how they haven't grown, haven't bought potatoes, potatoes in like three years or something. They continue to grow their own, save from the harvest and use those as seed potatoes and so on and so forth. And you and I have talked about that, you know, like it's something you're obviously doing with some crops and I'm doing the same. And it's one of those things like when we talked last year about, you know, kind of some environmental things and what we can do for our gardens. You just got to, you know, tick, tick, tick away at it. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm not in a position and I don't have the desire to say everything I consume will come from my land. Right. I plainly put like the conveniences of going out to have dinner, you know, going to the grocery store to pick up X, Y and Z. Um, And I want out of naivete, even still, to be able to trust that there aren't it's just not poison (laughs) on the shelves. Right. Um, And so all of those things combined lead me to absolutely still consuming things that are not grown on my property. But that doesn't mean that. I look and say onions aren't on the dirty, they are not on the dirty dozen. But what about the crops that I can grow and only consume from my garden? Like that, it kind of invigorated me from that perspective, 
Right. You know, yeah. so you look at your onions, you look at your potatoes, you look at you know, some of the other things that we're growing, your, you know, peppers. sweet potatoes. Yeah. Sweet yeah. Potatoes. Sweet potatoes. A uh, great example of that. Um, maybe even if they're not on the list of, you know, don'ts, it's still an opportunity where you can say you've limited your exposure to a degree. Right. Yeah. Again. And maybe we're just like some of the agencies in and stick with me. And that we're not eliminating it, but we're minimizing it, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's... For the amount of people and the amount of land, it's unrealistic to think that there's not going to be some kind of issue that crops up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's realistic, I think, to think about and ways to minimize it. I mean, you know, we've often said, like, hey, if you grow something in a pot and it's the only thing you have, like, you're minimizing your risk and Mm -hmm. you're making a change. Mm -hmm. And that's why we say what we say on the show. And that's what we're here for. I mean, one is to encourage, to help people learn and to inspire people to do what they already love to do or they're thinking they might love to do. And it's a shame that in this movie, they did not even slightly Mm -hmm. touch on that. Because in a lot, like I said earlier, a lot of these movies, they will touch on how you can make a change and what you can do. That's different, which I feel like leaves it off on a lighter note. And that being said, we do have to do this. I have to tell you about the planter app. Planter app, I mean, look, this is what we're talking about. You're in planting your garden and you want to plan out how to grow cantaloupes and lettuce and all that stuff. This app will help you design it in a square foot interface. It'll tell you what cantaloupes will grow with, what they will combat with, what they, when to plant them, when to harvest them. I mean, it tells you everything. It's got thousands of species and varieties of plants that you can pick from and choose. It's a drag and drop interface. Totally satisfying to use, may I add. Totally satisfying. Streamline your performance. You can use it on your phone when you're at a doctor's office. You can use it on your tablet when you're at home. Or you can use it on your PC when you want to get down to the nitty gritty and really look at it. This is a planter app. It's available on Apple and Google. And you can get it through the link below and get yourself a discount. And that is the P-L-A-N-T-E-R app. All right. We're moving on from the movie and we're going directly into the Spotify listener question of the day. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Let me get off this page. All right. So, I don't know how to say this name. This is from the... Pick the right variety. It might make a difference episode. Mm-hmm. And the person, I'm just going to say the first four letters is Lang. It says, just a thought to note. Be cautious when purchasing seeds at the big box store. They may not be compatible for your area. My big box store sells long day onion seeds mm. and I'm in a short day region. Amen. I have the exact opposite. I, I'm in a long day region and I absolutely had at the big box store short day onion transplants, transplants, like not even the seeds. That's crazy. And I was just like, I had to so much. I was so confused where I had to take up my phone and Google, wait, what kind of onions am I supposed to be growing in Chicago, Illinois? Because I'm in Chicago, Illinois, clearly, you know, and again, of course, it, it was long day. And so, um, so yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I don't know what would happen if I would have tried to grow the short day onions. It would have obviously produced greens, like the onion tops, but I don't know, like from a bulb perspective. But that's, um, it's such a good comment and a good reminder. And I'm glad that someone else has noted it versus just you and I kind of, you know, uh, preaching that same message. Everything in these stores ain't for you. Yeah. Well, and everything on every website's yeah, not for you yeah, either. Yeah. Well, I almost feel like there's some general understanding where everyone's looking at the same World Wide Web and the same website. You know, so that absolutely is true. But when I think about my local store, you know, I, I feel like there is some additional forethought given, and there isn't always. Yeah, and I mean, you're talking about generations of people have been going to their local store and buying seeds for their garden for as long as a lot of people can. I mean, before our life, I mean, that's what our intro is built mm-hmm. around is mm-hmm. that. And um, 
You're, you know, you're exactly right. I think in your area, if you grew short day onions, you would probably get onions just a lot sooner. But if we grow long day onions down here, they we won't get onions. They'll just go to seed the next mm-hmm. year. And I actually experienced that when I bought onion sets one year. The little mini bulbs, they just went straight to seed. And um, I just bought some peas the other day. And I had to read very carefully because some of them were better for cold weather it basically said don't plant when it's warm (laughs) but in my area it's warm most you know i need to plant my peas now so i can try and get a harvest come january so it's just it's it's very difficult and it's same with flowers too Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know you can get a lot of flower seeds that have no business growing in your yard no business whatsoever which doesn't make sense to me why would they sell them knowing that they're not going to grow and spending that money on that it doesn't make sense to me I don't know me. if it's like a misorder or it's one of those things like you know people are gonna buy it I yeah. hate to think that well, but I think mean, about the episode we just you know walked through <laughs> <laughs> that is the daggone truth mm-hmm. isn't it it's, it's a tough one it's a tough one so yeah definitely be careful and the biggest thing you can do is I mean it's hard to know what every variety does but generally speaking, when you flip over the package, it'll tell you and you do a little bit of reading Mm -hmm. on it. You can Mm -hmm. find out through the package what it says. Um, If I'm buying something, for instance, and it's got, you know, they'll give you um, the store by my house. They sell uh, fairy more seeds and they have that little graph Mm -hmm. on there of when to Mm -hmm. plant it. If I'm growing, I mean, pick any random crop and it says only plant in January then that's telling me that I probably should not be growing that because it's, you know, not going to do well. And then it'll also say like very cold tolerant. Well, if you don't get very cold, you don't need a very cold tolerant, which probably means it's not going to be very warm tolerant. Yeah, I generally, general rule of thumb, I'm in stores always or online and I'm always checking grow insert in Illinois extension is the way I search it, you know, so... Grow asparagus in Illinois extension. And one of the early articles that are going to come up is going to be something for my local extension service. You know, growing onions in Illinois extension is my search. That's what I'm putting in the search bar. So it's going to give me the answer of, you know, when should I be planting onions and so on and so forth. So I do that with um, almost everything that I'm growing for the first time or I haven't grown in a, a number of years. Right. So I'm going through that right now with um, wildflowers. Mm-hmm. We want to plant wildflowers and it's come to my attention. And I've, I said this on a recent YouTube video that like, I'm not a flower gardener. I know just enough to waste a lot of money, <laughs> but I've been reading about it and like not all wildflower seed packs are created equally. And there are some places that actually have um, seed packs for the individual state. But if you think about that, that's fine and dandy. But like within my state, there's four zones. So how is that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's there's definitely a changeover at some point that we need to be aware of. But four zones c- counting the A's and the B's or like, you know, so seven to eight, seven A, seven B, eight A, eight B. There's six A or eight A, seven B, seven A, six B, six A. Hmm. Yeah, that 6B is a stretch only because, you know, like that's going to be a real difference when it comes to your freezing tents. Um, one thing about wildflowers and you know some of the perennials and you know, some of these flowers, it takes a full year for them to even get to the point of like, you know, growing that full year before they bloom. Um, and I, I used to, you know, kind of when you used to talk about flowers, think about like, oh, it's much easier than you, you make it out to be. But no, there are a lot. I mean, there's so many different flowers that have so many different needs. So. They're so difficult. <laughs> so difficult. Hot part shade, hot shade, no shade, full sun. And I mean, like in my area, full sun does not mean all day sun. Yeah. I um, You know, I we are coming up on the hour, but I do want to ask this really quickly. Taking Brussels sprouts off the table, because I know you're desiring your need to grow them. Do you feel like you have let go of things that have been challenging for you, flowers, vegetables, fruits, otherwise? Like, so my example is when you said that, I thought about um, 
uh, begonias oh i love the flower but they almost always require shade there's one variety that says sun and i tried it for years and it needs to get burnt up every time and so i just thought about it like i haven't had begonias in my garden in years i just basically threw up my hands and said it's just it's it's just not worth my trouble yeah are you so you're asking me flowers vegetables or both um I'm going to say no. I, I kind of, I pivot and because, well, flowers are so difficult because I, f- I always feel like if I move it to a different spot, it'll mm-hmm, do better. Mm-hmm. I always feel like that. Um, vegetables. It's, that's a, that's a tough one. It's hard to say. I'm going to probably say, no, I don't really throw my hands up with those, um, as you can tell, but I definitely will scale back. To a point, no, actually, I take that back. I, I threw my hands up with peanuts. Mm-hmm. I kind of I realized that they just weren't worth my time. And I mean, that was I grew them and I had them, but they just weren't worth the time and space and all that stuff. So, yeah, I will mm-hmm. do that for something like that. But for the most part, you know, I'll just move stuff around or scale back until I figure it yeah. out or something like that. All right. Just a little bit of a tangent. There you go. Well, you know what? Today... You may have learned to grow, but we've definitely grown for change. And that's what it's all about here in the Backyard Gardens podcast. See ya. Now you know why people feel like celebrating at harvest time. All over the world, people have feasting and good times when the crops have been gathered in. Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out the Backyard Gardens podcast. If you like what we're doing and you want to continue to support the podcast, head over to our Patreon page to sign up. You can also make a one-time donation using PayPal. Both of these links are in the description. With your support, we can continue growing and helping others in their gardens. See ya. If you guys want some Backyard Gardens gear, go to the link below and check out our t-shirts, mugs, pint glasses, and other gear. All purchases go towards helping to support the show, so thank you so much in advance, and we hope you enjoy. We want everybody to have a garden, and we're going to give you a chance to win free seeds every month. Head over to BackyardGardensTV.com and enter your email address to be entered in all of our giveaways. Good luck! We want you to be a part of our gardening community. DM us a picture of your garden at Backyard Gardens TV on Instagram, and we will share it with our listeners.